gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe, is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and my co-host is Rachel Miller. And today we're going to be talking to Gretchen Ronovic about her book, Ragged. You may remember that Gretchen was on our podcast before with her co-host of her podcast, Freely Given. So I'm going to link that in the episode notes along with the book. I want to say a couple things before we dig in with, with Gretchen. First of all, I am living in my motorhome right now, and it's raining, so I apologize if you guys hear that, because it gets kind of noisy when it rains, so I'll be muting myself when the other gals are talking. And I know this is our first week back after a couple-week break, as I have moved to Houston, and um, last Friday, I got to meet Rachel in real life, which was so much fun you know, after knowing her for several years now to get to be together and we'll be attending her church, Cornerstone OPC in Houston. So lots of lots of changes, but good changes in my life. So I wanted to mention all of that. So Gretchen, we're so glad to have you with us. You're, this is your first book, which has yep. got to be very exciting. And I know that you published this with... Um, New Reformation Publications, I think they call it now, which is through 1517. Had a lot of 1517 people on the podcast. Your podcast is part of their network. My brother-in-law is the one that started that little organization that has grown quite a bit. But uh, I know you talked about this a little bit your first time on our show, but share a little bit about yourself and who you are and why you wrote this book. Yeah, so... Um... I am a mom of six kids, so that's kind of my, my primary vocation. Um, we have been homeschooling the younger five now this last year. Um, I live in Minnesota, and my husband is a full-time farmer, so we kind of have a little bit of an unusual life there, but a very busy life, and 
Um, I, I am involved as a writer and podcaster. Um, I'm really um, into supporting women's ministries and, um, and mentoring um, the next generation of women. Um, I wrote this book mostly um, when, when we were going through a really, well, I suppose with lots of little kids, just that season of trying to figure out what my devotional life would look like or um, how I'm supposed to grow in Christ and everything being, I don't know, I, I think for a long time I blamed my family or I blamed my own discipline or lack thereof. And, and I was kind of beating myself up that I couldn't quite achieve or attain um, what I wanted for my spiritual growth. And so, yeah, so this book is basically looking at spiritual disciplines, um, but from a very long gospel perspective, because I, I, when I was studying a lot of the spiritual disciplines, um, they can go straight to works. And I really wanted one that um, I, I wanted to write one that really fixed your eyes on what, what Christ does on our behalf and fixing our eyes on the gospel and not ever shifting away from that. Um, but, but sinking into it deeper. Well, I really love the book. Um, I've already recommended it to others. It's, it was very refreshing to read a book about spiritual disciplines that was so grounded in the law gospel distinction and so grounded in the work that Christ has done for us already. And one thing I like that you wrote in the introduction was you said, my goal is to help you receive the lighter yoke of Christ, shirking the heavy yoke of perfection and performance so that, that you may have greater peace in abiding in Christ. And that really just sums up the goal of the book. And so mm -hmm. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about, you know, how do we do that? How do we reject perfection, perfectionism, and put on the lighter yoke of Christ? Well, I think... Um... The, the first thing to recognize is um, when, we, when we look at our spiritual life from um, we have to do this or we have to do this so, or, or turn it into this, um, I probably come down too hard on checklists. I actually love checklists, but um, just this idea of this is the formula to a strong spiritual life we're actually shifting away from the gospel message um, because the gospel message is everything is um, Jesus completed the law on our behalf and, and everything that we can't do, he does um, for us. And um, he, his death and resurrection isn't something that we, um, we need to then shift and look and see, okay, what do we need to do? but to say, okay, Lord, what are you going to do in us? And so I think the, the biggest difference is um, where our gaze is set. Um, who are we looking at? Uh, who, who are we looking for? And um, I think the burden becomes really heavy when, we, um, when we're looking to ourselves for that perfection instead of looking to Christ. And when we start looking to Christ for that perfection, um, I think I started approaching the spiritual disciplines more from a place of curiosity of, okay, Lord, this is something that you've given. What does this do? 
and what does this teach me and and come from more of a student perspective rather than um, this is how I'm going to organize my life. I've, I thought of a few things as I was reading your book. I don't know if you've heard uh, Rod Rosenblatt say the gospel is for Christians too, but so many yes. of the books out there for women really are checklists. Here how you can. Here's all of the ways that you can do better. In fact, um, earlier in the podcast, there was a real popular book for women. It, it was marketed as Christian, although it wasn't specifically super Christian. It was kind of an afterthought throughout. A uh, girl wash your face. And even this book that that was definitely not good theology and whatnot was still all law. Mm-hmm. It was, you can do it, you can do better, you know, here's all the ways. And, you know, we, we all are familiar, you know, you talk about women's ministry, Gretchen, that even so much of women's ministry, ministry is built around that. Here's how you be a better wife. Here's how you be a better mother. Here's how you be a better Christian. Here's how you be more disciplined. And and there there are times and places for for those things, but without that focus on the gospel. And I I've often used to think that some of these women's books, the gospel was an afterthought, not the foundation where we stand. You have you have a quote, total dependence on God restores us. And the goal of sanctification is to retrain our brains of the present reality of our salvation, which really kind of encompasses why it's so important to kind of have that gospel as the foundation. Can you discuss what that means? Well, I think when we were talking a little bit about um, law and gospel, um, of, of course the law has its place. You know, like you said, there there is a place for talking about a lot of these things. However, I think we're trying to... <laughs> We're looking to the law to do something it was never designed to do, and um, and that's to to save and restore us. And so, I I think a lot of times we we lean towards um, law based programs because we see them as more practical or more effective. And um, I think theologically, it's important that we understand that the gospel is the most effective source of change in us that there is. And so um, if we're going to get down to practical or, or what is effective, um, we have to look to grace for that. And, and I think that um, that's almost uh, some dissonance in our brain of how can that be? <laughs> how can grace be more effective? How can it be more powerful? Um, and so it, it's not so much of, of saying that things of the law are bad or, or things of the gospel are good. It's, it's more so saying, okay, the law has its purpose and it's, it's over there. Um, the gospel has a, has a, a deeper purpose and a more effective purpose, um, that, um, that we need to hang on to because, um, otherwise we're just going to be spinning our wheels, um, using the law to do to do work in us that the, the gospel is supposed to be doing. And so it I I want I want people to see it as as the practical means, um, which is the opposite of how we often approach um Christian life books where um we're like, okay, now that we're saved, we can totally do everything in the law and let's focus on the law because we have Christ. But to say no, um, and there's several scriptures I bring in here where 
um, understanding the depth of God's love for us is is more powerful than we give it credit for. Like Colleen said, I've I've heard you know the same kind of approach in in ministry and and for women's ministry, but also just in general that you know you know the gospel is for. Um, for sinners and for people who've not come to the faith because they need to hear the good news. But for those of us who are believers, you know, we need to hear the law so we know how to, how to live and how to behave. And, you know, we, we, it, it's very much, you know, kind of a beat them over the head with it until they get it. And, you know, there's, you know, you, you go to Galatians when Paul says, did you think you, you started by the spirit, but you're going to finish by the flesh. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it is very counterintuitive for us to look at it and say, you know, we, we need to focus on the gospel. As Colleen said, the gospel is for Christians too, right? Um, and that's our, our motivation. Um, so when we're talking about spiritual disciplines, what are spiritual disciplines and what purpose do they serve? So um, there's probably a, a broad range of definitions. The, the, the metric that I used or the definition that I used for spiritual disciplines was something that was um, laid out in scriptures um, for us and um, something that encourages our faith and is a means of, of growing our faith. Um, so there's a lot of things that people call spiritual disciplines um, that aren't bad. For, for example, um, Bible journaling. Or, or Bible art or things like that. But that, that's not something that is mentioned in scripture. So I didn't, I didn't include those. But something laid out in scripture for, for us to do, um, not, not, for, um, not for our salvation. Another definition that, um, or metric that I used was something that I discovered through my research for the book. It wasn't actually in my original proposal, but I had always considered spiritual disciplines being something that I do for my own edification. And when I looked at it from more of a church history perspective, I saw, uh, you know, oh my goodness, this is for the whole church. And this is, this is something for all of us. And this is for the building up of the whole church. And I started seeing things like Bible reading and prayer and, um, even fasting or, or, um, rest, all of these are very communal and not that they're, um, they're only for community. You can definitely do them as individuals, but, um, it's not either, or it's, it's for the individual and it's for the church. And so I think that is something that, um, where my definition grew of this isn't just something that God gave to individuals. This is something that God gave the church. I grew up in the 80s when spiritual disciplines became a very common topic. There were all these new books about spiritual disciplines. And boy, I wish I would have had your book then because it would have saved me a lot of <laughs> of just heartache and and guilt that was unnecessary. Um, I mean, we were told things like, you know, a need to be reading your Bible for an hour a day and praying this long and doing all this. And there was, it was almost painted like um, to be a good Christian, you must do these things instead of I'm forgiven and clothed in, ri- in Christ's righteousness. And so now I can go out and do these things. 
one of the things I that you say I think is extremely powerful that love is a stronger motivation than fear and that specifically I lived in fear you know I obeyed out of fear I made sure to get up early to read my bible out of fear can you talk a little bit about what that means love being um a greater motivation than fear yeah I think I think we all know that reading your Bible is a good thing to do and, and praying is a good thing to do and, and devotions is good. And um, we all know that sometimes we maybe approach it like we're eating our vegetables or something like that. But I, I think about um, one woman I talked with once said that she had gone 14 years without um, missing a day of reading her Bible. And I was just, you know, I said, well, that's, that's wonderful. You know, I, I didn't want to, there, there was no reason to slam that or anything. And, and, um, but I mean, then she got tears welled up in her eyes and she said, I am terrified of what God will do to me or what he, like, I'm trying to prove to him that he doesn't need to teach me anything. Cause I'm, I'm getting my act together. Like, please don't, please don't bring troubles or calamity down on my life. I, I promise I'll be a good Christian. And this this fear that had gripped her that she didn't even know how to get out of um that that picture has stayed with me um that conversation has stayed with me and to think about um you know i've i've heard so much shame in this area whenever i have um gone to a talk on spiritual disciplines there there's so much there's such an extreme spectrum that I was trying to reconcile theologically because on one side you have people who will make statements about um, your assurance based on where your spiritual disciplines are. Like you can't call yourself a Christian if you're only reading one verse a day, or you can't call yourself a Christian if you're not doing this. I mean, you, I mean, really you're going to have to get your act together. And they're, what they're doing is they're taking something good and then they're using manipulative tactics to get people to do it as though it doesn't matter what the means to the end is. And um, on the other hand, you have people like I remember talking with um, with another teacher saying, you know, I have I think at the time I probably had four little kids at home and I said, I just can't. Um, you know, how do you do devotions? I was talking to an older um an older woman teacher said, how do you do devotions? How did you make it happen? And, and um, she would just, she said, you know, there's just seasons where it's just not possible and you just wait till your kids are older. And I was like, well, that doesn't seem, you know, there's grace for you too. And I was like, so I'm not going to get fed for like another six, seven years. Like I have six kids. So how's that going to like, are you telling me that, that none of this matters? But on the other hand, I'd t- talk with other teachers and they would just say, you know, you just don't want it bad enough. If you want it bad enough, you know, your your issue is um, your heart is in the wrong place. And I would just walk away feeling convicted, but not equipped. And and so I think a lot of times we think it's fine to use guilt and shame to motivate people um, as long as we're getting them to do the right things. and. I, I think that's incredibly unbiblical because that that's not um, the Bible does not advocate manipulative tactics like that. And every one of the spiritual disciplines is to root us in the reality 
of grace and root us in the reality of God's love. So um, it was definitely a leap of faith for me to say, God, is your love stronger than my fear? Um, is your law is your love more more effective than these um, manipulative ways? And um, he does not disappoint. <laughs> he, he he does not disappoint in that way. And I think um, I've even had to confess to God, God, my my motivation is not there, and I have no heart for this right now. Can you help me with that? And to to confess and ask Him to help my heart instead of just try to shame my way there. Um, he's, he's more willing to help us than, than we give him credit for. I love what you said there about, you said convicted, (laughs) but not equipped because that's, you know, I I had very similar issues. I had, you know, little kids that never slept and I I don't say that lightly. They never slept. They didn't go to bed early, (laughs) but they got up early and they didn't nap very long ever. Um, they were just always awake and I was exhausted and I was, I did not know when to, to sit down and have a quiet moment and read. And I liked, I wanted to, you know, I, I love scripture. I love the word and I had no time. And, you know, the, the advice for things, you know, they just, just get up an hour before everyone else gets up. I'm like, they're up before five. Like, how do, when do I sleep? <laughs> <laughs> what do I do? You know? And so, you know, I, I did, I felt very guilty and much like the woman you talked to, I'm like, if I don't show God that I'm getting my act together and that I've done the right things and you know, what's going to happen to me. So yes, I too wish I'd had this book much earlier in my walk <laughs> as a mom. But um, one of the things that you write about, uh, you talk about a paradox that freedom looks like dependence on God and dependence looks like freedom. Could you explain what that means and why that paradox isn't really a paradox? Yeah, I think um, we have this idea that we're supposed to um show like like we said before that we show him that we have our act together so he doesn't have to teach us anything you know um or or ward off some kind of um more more harsh discipline i guess you could say i know for me i was working really hard to be independent from god and i was i was using the spiritual disciplines as a means to manage my own spiritual life. So God didn't have to. And what I, there's a story that I tell in the book about um, a a car accident that I was in where I was just living in pain for a, a really long time and trying to parent through it. And I needed a lot of help, um, outside help during that time. And I just felt so guilty needing help. And I, I felt like I was just a, a burden on, on everybody and a burden on God. And God really um, provided and came through for me. But when um, when my pain started to get managed uh, better and, and started to plateau at, at a manageable level, um, I remember praying, don't worry, God, I'm, I'm not going to need you um, much anymore. I'm, I'm going to be okay. And um, it was like the Holy Spirit convicted me as soon as I heard that prayer, just that I was like, whoa, that was not right. That was not biblical. That wasn't, that's not what God is after. And, um, so then I started asking the question, what, what does dependence look like in, in quote unquote, normal life 
or when, when I'm not in chronic pain or when I'm not dealing with migraines or um, when, you know, I think we all have these seasons of, of highs and lows in our life when, when things are settled and then things are not settled. And some of us go through seasons where it seems like everything is hard, 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 and it just never lets up. And I think when it's hard consistently, God feels more real to us or God feels closer to us. Um, and I wanted to ask the question, what does dependence look like in, in all situations and not just in the catastrophe type ones? And I, I, think, um, I think we often use spiritual disciplines in, in manipulative ways to not to grow closer to God or to grow more dependent of God, but to um, our performance ends up being us clinging to our self-righteousness instead of his righteousness and, and a way to kind of keep God at, at arm's length, um, to understand him intellectually, but maybe not to the depth that, that we want him involved. And so, um, yeah, dependence is the whole goal of, of this whole book of um, what is dependence on, on Christ look like? Um, but it's it's such a bad word in Western culture. Um, I don't think anyone wants to be dependent. And so that's why I suppose that's why I didn't name the book How to Be Dependent, because no one would have liked that one. <laughs> but You know, um, what you're talking about right there, just, I think, so helpful and something I can very much relate to. I was the young mom who's going to do everything perfect. I mean, I wouldn't have said it like that, but in my own head, it's going to have my house would be perfectly shiny all the time and my nice meals I made for my family and homeschool my children and have people over. And I did quite often for for Sunday dinner after church and um, and I had it all together. And I was the one that went and helped people when they were struggling. I was not somebody who needed help. And I never wanted help um, because I could do it, right? <laughs> and and then when I got sick, that all just changed. And it was really, really hard for me to even admit that I needed help and to accept that help. I will say that time of desperation and having to learn to really rest in Christ and trust Him um, helped me long-term, not just in that moment, but it was a very big uh, lesson in what it means to rest in Christ in all of life. So moving on a little bit. Oh, and I I did want to say too, before I get to this next question, uh, quite often, whether it's girls in the Facebook group or girls that come to me and they've got young children and they're tired and they're like, I just don't have time for sitting and studying my Bible like I used to. And, you know, I've told them, you know, sometimes when I had a newborn baby, I listened to the Bible while I nursed or I prayed while Mm -hmm. I washed dishes. That's what life Mm -hmm. looked like. You know, that we really need to get away from this idea. I think sometimes of comparing ourselves to other people. Well, they have three young kids and they get up an hour early and study the Bible before their kids get up. So I can too. We need to get past that. Um, Hopefully to our listeners, my dog is very noisily chewing her bone near me. Hopefully it's, (laughs) if anyone hears anything, that's what it is. Um, But I think that there is some of that. And I remember feeling that when I'd sit with the young mothers in the cry room and they're talking and I'm thinking, wow, I'm really falling short. If they can do that, why can't I? 
Um, why am I not spending an hour in studying my Bible every day or a half an hour in praying? And just learning that I could rest and that my life was going to have different seasons and it was going to look differently. You know, before I had kids, I'd sit at my dining room table with my commentaries and my notebooks and my journals and my different Bible reading, um, you know, plans and all of that. And it's, you know, I thinking of I, my oldest child is almost 25 and how different it's looked at different times. Yeah. And I wish well, I would have it, just rested in Christ more. There's this ideal that the Bible does not give us of it has to be morning and it has to be for a certain amount of time and it has to be alone. And if you can't check off those um, those qualities, then then you're not that great. And I remember, um, I mean, one of my kids is more special needs. And so like people would say, oh, you just have to train your kids this is, you know, there's the joke that we would always say about the, was it John Wesley's mom that put the apron over and all the kids knew when right. the apron's <laughs> over, you know, the mom's head, then, then everybody um, left her alone. Well, what about when you have a child um, who has a lot of health issues or interrupts you all the time? And I, for um, several years, um, especially, and I know that not all your listeners are homeschoolers and, and that's totally fine. But there were times when my my kids, you know, I would talk with older moms and they would just be like, oh, we would do that after our kids would go to school. And okay, well, what if your kids don't leave? Right. Um, then I, for a couple of years, the only devotions I had was the family devotions I, I led with my kids. And it was not anything else. It was just something that we did as a family. And where in the Bible does it say that that is lesser or that, you know, that, you know, if you're not alone, then it doesn't count, you know, or, or right. something like that. And so I think there's all these many laws that we have added to this um, that restrict people and guilt people um, that you're not going to find in scriptures. And, and I think that that's important for us to understand that, um, that God is, is very flexible to get into our lives. And, um, and sometimes that is in around other people or, or things like that. So I just wanted to add to that too. I, I still don't get up before my kids and read the Bible by myself and it is, it's throughout the day or, um, I listen to it an awful lot. Um, and if I'm in deep in research mode, then I usually have for a writing project that I'm normally, I have a babysitter for that. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it, it just looks different. Yeah, and that and that's okay. One thing, um, like years ago, that occurred to me is through most of church history, people didn't have five um, Bible versions at their fingertips the way that we do now. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times throughout church history, people did not have a Bible in their home even. Um, mm -hmm. So, the the big question, Gretchen, is: Are tools like reading plans or prayer journals useful or not? And and adding to that, what happens when we try to quantify our progress? Um, I, I think um, in general, tools are very neutral. So um, like a Bible reading plan or um, like reading through the Bible in a year or things like that, um, they're not bad at all. Um, however, I think the way that we use them um, can often be very bad or we base our, our righteousness or we feel like we can, um, 
chart our growth spiritually through through that means. Um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with with trying to build habits and um, healthy lifestyle type things. However, um, I have learned in my own life that um, I I don't know how else to say this. There there's like people who um, can't drink alcohol because they know that they will take it too far. And for me, that is what Bible reading plans has become, where as soon as I log on to one, I am um, dead set focused on making sure that I I win. I want to win this and I want to be the best at it and I want to post about it and I want to do all of that. I do go through um, the Bible pretty methodically. Um, I purposefully don't track it because um, <laughs> my self-righteousness is maybe a little too fragile for that. <laughs> so I, so that's my own personal confession. However, I know a lot of people who've been greatly helped by them. And so I'm not going to say that they're bad. I'm, I'm just going to say they're neutral. And um, if you are very prone to self-righteousness like me, I, those tracking things become a stumbling block for me. Um, for a lot of other people, especially for, um, maybe this is an overgeneralization, but a lot of new believers who've never tried to read the whole Bible or read um, portions that maybe they've never read before, um, things like that. It can be, it can be fun. I, I like to approach a lot of the spiritual disciplines from a place of curiosity to see what God will do so that my eyes are always fixed on him and his works. Um, and so I think if you use these plans or, or these motivations from a place of curiosity, that's probably the, the healthiest way to do it. But yeah, there's not many reading plans that I have finished. And the ones that I have finished, I was probably way too proud about. And so... <laughs> Yeah. Um, earlier, you said something about uh, individual and communal aspects of spiritual disciplines. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that, like what the difference is and why it matters. I saw a pattern um, as I was going through scripture of um, how God interacts with us. Um, some examples of that um, would be like, um, communion and baptism and and things of that nature um um someone who is baptized is baptized as an individual but they are baptized by someone outside of them you know no one really baptizes themselves um someone else does that the same is is for communion um we each individually get to eat um the the bread and and wine but um but we we don't do it alone we, we do this um, as a community. And I think it's, it's wise to look at the spiritual disciplines, um, not to the same extent as um, baptism and communion, but just this idea of how we're to interact with each other and see our spiritual lives. Um, I think especially in America, we have hyper-individualized our spiritual lives. And um, because we're afraid of maybe codependence or, or um, we feel like that's maybe a little bit more controllable or we have seen 
when other people have tried to control our spiritual lives, you know, there can be spiritual abuse that happens with that. And so it's important though, to, to recognize um, just how much we need, we need each other to an extent of God has given us the church. Um, Some of my favorite Bible reading times have been in um, Bible study settings where people around me see things that I haven't seen. And I see things in scripture that other people's people don't. And so we can talk about it. And sometimes when we hyper in uh, individualize, um, I mean, let's take Bible reading, for example, if, if you are just reading the Bible by yourself and, um, and it's never really talked about as a group, um, I think it's, um, it's very easy to go down a wrong path. If you're not looking at, okay, what have other theologians said about this? What has my pastor said about this? What is, you know, what, what have my peers said about this? Um, what has been written on this and, and things like that? Um, we can get so stuck in our own head that it's, it's very easy to, to go on a wrong path there. And, and so there's, there's a benefit to that. I had a, a memory after I finished writing this book. Um, it was a very, of course, turning in the edits for it and, and getting it all done ended up being kind of a chaotic time for my family. And afterwards, I think there was two or three weeks where the only scripture that I was reading was when I was sitting in church. And um, I remember texting one of my dear friends and confessing to her. I said, I just wrote a book on spiritual disciplines and it's been three weeks, two, three weeks since I've opened up my Bible at home. Um, I'm just, I'm a fraud. I'm, I'm an absolute fraud. This is horrible. And, um, she copy and pasted what she had read in her Bible app that day and texted it to me. And then she texted her, her thoughts on what she read and what God had shown her. And then she was just going to like droughts over. Now, now you're back in the word. It was just going to, it, she gave it to me. And, um, I think a lot of times we, when we look at Q, the community aspect um, of of the spiritual disciplines, we immediately revert to accountability as far as, okay, we have to make other people do this. And how are we going to make people and how are we going to motivate people? When you're looking at how grace moves and how grace is given in, in scriptures, there's no, there's no um, forced and, and manipulation. It's all gift. And so, to give people prayer and to give others the word and um, to be with others as they're lamenting. There's um, the communal aspect to it has a lot more giving with a spirit of generosity than what we think. And for someone who is weary and struggling and convicted, it just lays the gospel on so thick that it's um, every time that has ever happened to me, it's just so rooted in my memory of that's when someone gave me the gospel. They, they prayed for me. They mourned with me. They, they read the Bible with me. They just gave me a, a, a scripture instead of um, this constant guilt and questioning your, your salvation. You know, one thing I've noticed lately is we're just so judgmental. <laughs> I, see, yes. I, I open Twitter and people are just judgmental towards each other about everything. And I think we sometimes feel that if, um, 
even like what you just talked about, if you if you actually confess, you know, I haven't really read my Bible in a few weeks, people are going to judge, oh, she's not a very good Christian, I guess. Um, and that ends up becoming a motivating factor, too. I think of how many times in my own life that is others people, other people's perception and judgment of me becomes um, a great motivating factor. When you talk about that individualistic thing, I, I was thinking of uh, another Lutheran, Brian Wolfmuller, in his book about American Christianity, he talks about that too. And I think it's such an important point, We, especially in American Christianity, that we see our faith as primarily individualistic, and it's not. We gather together every week to, together we um, take the Lord's Supper and hear the preached word and the law and the gospel. Yeah, I think if this last year has taught us anything, it's that when, as a church, we really struggle when we're just on our own in our own homes. You know, that Very that, can't, that can't be our, our, um, our only place of spiritual growth. We, we really need each other uh, more, than, more than we would like to admit. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's almost like we're proud if that I can do it by myself. You know, when you have like yeah. a little kid and you're like, let me help you. I can do it by myself. And we kind of keep that same sort of attitude. I can do it by myself. I don't need you guys. You know, one of the things that you talk about, and I honestly had never thought about this before is rest as a spiritual discipline. Like, wow, that was so eye opening to me to think of it that way. And I hadn't ever before thought about it that way. So I'd love for you to talk about why rest is a spiritual discipline and why it's so important and yet why it is so hard. Yeah, I um, I actually learned this from my my husband's family. Um, the the farm, I think a lot of people might call it legalistic and, and I don't know if it started from that place or or if, um, or if it just became practical, but, um, we're one of the very few farms left that don't farm on Sundays. Um, and the reason for that given was, um, all the guys on the farm wanted to be able to go to church. And I mean, there's nothing extra, um, extra spiritual about Sunday morning. If you go to Saturday night church, you're not like lesser of a Christian, you know, just wanting to meet together during the crazy times. Um, but what has ended up happening, um, I mean, like in this season that I'm in, um, my husband is in a planting season right now. Um, he's working till 1230 in the morning, one o'clock in the morning, every single day on the tractor. And then he gets up and he's out of the house by seven again. And um, he does this six days a week of just working, you know, sun up to sundown and then some. And, um, it's really hard on my family. It's really hard on our relationships. And one day a week, um, there's no, um, expectation. And I used to grumble about that because I, he would take a nap then on Sundays and then I would still have to take care of the kids. So then I would say, well, where's my Sabbath? You know, <laughs> just being like all snarky about it. And, um, so then we started brainstorming, okay, what are some ways for me to get some rest? Because this is important. So, I mean, we, we came up with 
things for my family so that I could rest. I don't, I don't cook on Sundays. I don't do any dishes on Sundays. And, and we try to keep our calendar open one day a week. So I, I can just be still because otherwise I go a little crazy, but what I learned when we planned in rest or when we talked about our family or we talked about even when I was more in a needy situation, um, planning in rest. What's really hard about this discipline is that sometimes that means sitting down when the work is not finished or seeing that my garden really needs to be weeded, but I'm going to take a nap instead. Or I, um, there's, there's, and I think a lot of times we say, oh, I can't rest until this is done, or I can't rest until this is done. And, and there's no shame in getting up and, and doing the work. However, to sit and be still, what I learned through that is that I am not holding the world together. And it is not all dependent on me. And if I sit still, the sun is still going to rise and the sun is still going to set. For a mom of six, that's that's something that God has to regularly teach me, is that I'm not holding the world together because I it honestly feels like that. Most, at most days of the week, I feel like everyone in my family will fall apart if I'm not doing exactly what needs to be happening at all times. And... Um, to to train us no sometimes we just have to sit and see what god is doing um this has gone into other portions of my life when my kids are going through seasons where god is teaching them something or um or a dear friend and god is teaching something and i just want to rush in and fix it and i just want to rush in and see but to um to pause and and look to jesus and say what what are you going to do in this situation or what are you going to do with this? Um, it has built my faith um, so much. It also goes against the whole idea of like you had said before, you know, if your kids are never sleeping and they're up at five in the morning, like, am I supposed to get up at four? And I'm, am I supposed to do this? One of the reasons I put rest as the first discipline listed, not not because it's the most important, because I think that would be a, a far stretch. But I think that a lot of the spiritual disciplines come out of a place of rest. And so as a community, if I'm saying, okay, the spiritual disciplines aren't just about building up me, but building up other people, it has affected my my mentoring ministry and my my involvement in women's ministry of instead of, you know, guilting women saying, you know, have you read your Bible today and you just need to get up earlier? Then it becomes a place of, okay, are you sleeping? And is there anything that you need? Because you're not in this by yourself. Like, are are you needing some time once a week for a break? Can I help you? And and I'm starting to see that this isn't just about me. If if my sister in Christ is really struggling because she's going through a season where she can't do anything and she can't rest. What is God calling me to? And that, and seeing rest as a legitimate need um, for our, our spiritual health. Um, I think when we, we tie that into community, it, it, it brings me to a place where I'm not guilting my sisters, but I am looking for ways to, that they can rest because once you're in that place of rest, then you're like, Oh, I'm looking for God at work. Look, God provided someone for me. <laughs> God did this. And 
So I think um, it ties in with the community there as well. I really did appreciate, especially the chapter on rest. I appreciated what you had to say about why it's important to prioritize it in our lives. Um, and it is very um, countercultural in our society to, to prioritize rest. But um, so thank you. I think it'll be a great encouragement to uh, those in our group, uh, in the group and in the, who listen to the podcast, who are also struggling in difficult times and uh, seasons of their lives right now. I wanted to ask you what encouragement you would give to someone who comes to you and says that they're struggling with the spiritual disciplines or struggling with guilt, especially over the spiritual disciplines. I think the the first thing that I would um, tell them is that uh, it's okay to tell God that you're struggling and it's okay to say, I don't even know how to do any of this. And um, it's okay to tell God that um, I am stuck on Facebook all the time and I, I'm not even, you know, when I could be doing something else and it's okay to, to tell him that you're wrestling. I think a lot of times we, um, we fear that, um, we should have it together. We keep telling ourselves we should have it together. We should be able to conquer this by now instead of saying, God, I, I can't do this. And I, I have no idea. Um, for me, a lot of things changed when I, I took all the things that I thought that I should be doing and turning that into a confession. The Holy Spirit was then showing me all these expectations I had on myself that he did not have. Um, the Holy Spirit put on me, um, gave me hearts and resources. I mean, he softened my heart and he, like one of the prayers that I prayed was so dumb. It sounded so dumb of just, Lord, can you, can you make me want your word more than coffee? Because if I have, you know, if I don't get to my coffee until 9am, I don't say, Oh, I guess coffee's not going to happen today, you know, because I've been too busy to drink it. No, I just, you know, throw it in the microwave and heat it up. I, I, I wanted to want him more. I, I wanted to have the desire and I was so busy shaming myself that I didn't have the desire that I didn't confess it to him. So I think the first thing I would say is con confess that to the Lord, all of your struggles, um, because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He's not going to condemn you for it. The second thing I would say is partner up. Or, or talk with someone else and say, I, I really want to get into the word, but I'm not really sure how. I'm not really sure where to start. Um, would you like to do that with me? Um, I have friends that I just memorize scripture with and, and we do fun like uh, like the Marco Polo app. We'll just kind of go on there and see how far we can get in a scripture memory just, just so I'm not doing it alone. Um, and then sometimes we fall off the wagon for a month or two and then we'll be like, oh, wait, we, we got busy. Let's start that up again. And um, again, there's no shame in it. It's just um, reaching out and say, I need some help. Will you do this with me in instead of, you know, will you hold me accountable and make me feel guilty if I do it bad? I think that that that's that has ruined more relationships than I can count <laughs> just of um of people really trying hard to hold me accountable. And then I just start avoiding them, but just saying, well, will you do this alongside with me? And will you just help me 
pick up the pieces when I fail. Just understanding that this isn't something on my shoulders. This is something on God's shoulders. And and we get to to freely enter into that. Yeah, the, the idea of, of freedom in this is it's deeper than we can imagine. And freedom doesn't mean that God is going to let us go and it's an unsafe place. It means um, we get to look to see how God is going to change our hearts and how he's going to draw us in and the people he's going to bring into our lives. It's I, I get giddy and excited thinking about what God will do sometimes. And um, because I don't always know what it will look like. And I don't always know how he's going to bring something to pass, but I know that in things that he's promised, he, he will do them. And so it, living in expectation of that and in, in a wonder way, instead of saying it has to look this way or it has to look the way I want it to look, but say, God, you promised this. How, how are you going to do that for me? Show me how you're going to do that for me. And um, the Holy Spirit is not someone we can manipulate, but he is extremely dependable. And and that's a message I wanted to come strong in the book as well. One of the things I was thinking about when we had Scott Keith on the podcast, and you mentioned vocation earlier, and he was talking about that, and I find it so helpful. I wish I would have understood vocation better when I had young children, but he took because we, we do feel like we want to do for God. You know, we're thankful for the salvation that he's given us. What can I do for God? And Scott told a story of a guy that went up to Martin Luther and said, I understand the gospel now. What can I do for God? And Luther said, well, what do you do now? And he said, well, I, I'm a shoemaker. And he said, then go and make shoes well and sell them at a fair price and do so to the glory of God. And I find that so helpful just as a mom and a wife or whatever your vocation is mm -hmm. that we can do the things wherever the Lord has us and do that to the glory of God. Um, and I think sometimes we feel like we're not doing enough. I'm, I'm just changing poopy diapers and doing dishes, you know, mm -hmm. but it's for me so helpful to know wherever the Lord has me that I do that to the glory of God and being able to rest even in that. One of the things I didn't mention was kind of how your book is set up. Cause I know sometimes we have uh, listeners that are young moms and they're like, I don't have time to sit and read a book. And this book, the chapters aren't super long, but within each chapter are different sections. So mm -hmm. you can literally open it and take five minutes and read a section. If that's all the time you have for um, to read. And I do think even reading it in, so in small um, snippets like that, it will be helpful. I think even just enough to say, okay, I, I read a little bit today and, and I'm reminded because I'm worn out and I need to be reminded of Christ and resting in Him. I'm going to link the book in the episode notes. I'm going to link our last episode with you because we talked a lot about law and gospel and also, link Freely Given, because Gretchen does have a podcast, too. And I kind of think of them, you know, the Lutheran version of what we do here and trying to emphasize law and gospel. And and you guys really dig into on the regular law and gospel in, in everyday life. We do. We, we, we try to as best as we can and, and help. Um, I mean, I know we have a lot of men listeners, but but women mostly to understand the freedom of the Christian. Cause I think a lot of times 
when we start talking about freedom, women start getting a little uncomfortable. So we want to talk a lot about how that affects daily life an awful lot. Yeah, we want the list of what to do. No, tell me what to do to be a better mom. I need the (laughs) list. You know, I need five steps on how my children will turn out perfectly. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think it's kind of our default um, to to look for that. But all the more reason why your podcast is good. And podcasts are really great uh, for a lot of a lot of moms. You know, because they they can listen when they're in the car and things like that. I know when you're folding laundry, it's just, it's perfect. I, I listen to them all the time. So, yep. I, I yeah. listen while I'm washing dishes and cooking dinner. Well, thank you so much, Gretchen. This, oh, this was you, so Terry. wonderful. Rachel and I both love the book, highly mm-hmm. recommend it. Um, and even though I, I wanted to also mention, uh, Gretchen is obviously Lutheran. We've mentioned that several times, but this, the one thing that, um, the reason why we've had Lutherans on this podcast is because we are in agreement on the importance of the gospel. And this book is applicable, whether you're Reformed or Lutheran, or maybe not even one of those things, because the emphasis is the gospel and resting in Christ. So definitely check it out. And uh, Rachel and I will see you next week.